0: We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edinburgh. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. We've been reading um, the Book of Philippians this week, as Ben said. If you want one of those bookmarks there in the foyer, there, I thought I'd start off by reading a couple of verses which you would have read this week if you uh, read are reading through Philippians. Philippians chapter two, verse. Three to eleven, Philippians chapter two. If you've got a Bible, why don't you have a look? It says, "Don't be selfish." Well, that, that's, that's enough, isn't there? We can go home now. Don't be selfish. Don't t- try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others. Uh, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take on the interests of others too. And then it goes to this famous. It's like a poem. It's a really famous part of the New Testament. Have the same attitude as Jesus. It says, though he was God, he didn't think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He never gave up being God, but he gave up divine privileges, it says. He took on the humble position of a slave. Yours might say servant in your Bible. And was born as a human being. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore God elevated him to the highest place of honour, gave him the name which is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Everything should bow to Jesus. Now that includes all of our thinking, all of our... Conceptions. Everything we think about God needs to bow to Jesus. And every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We've been in our theme this year. Our theme is, is Christ like. We decided this year instead of let's have a goal to do something, let's have a goal to be something, be someone, or to know God, to know Christ, and let's make it our goal to become Christ like. It's a really good goal because even if things don't work out for you in your plans you can still reach that goal you can become Christ-like if things go well or if things are a bit tough you can still achieve that goal and uh, we've been looking at that theme through different perspectives what does it mean to be Christ-like what does it look like now today I want to talk to you um, about something which I think is really important when it comes to knowing christ becoming like him and representing him to others and uh, before we start i'm going to pray lord i pray as we open your word as we consider what it means to be christ-like today that you will open up our hearts maybe adjust our thinking if it needs to be adjusted encourage our hearts and build our faith in jesus name amen I'm going to give you a couple of verses today. I'd encourage you, if you're taking notes, maybe write them down. We won't spend too much time on them. But the first one is uh, Ephesians 5, verse 1. It says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Imitate God. Other parts of the Bible, it says to imitate Christ. And Paul once wrote, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But here it says imitate God and we've been exploring what it is to be Christ-like or what is Christ-like and I want to ask you a related question to that and this is the question I'm going to ask you. What is God like? Because if it says imitate God, you need to know what God is like. And uh, it's a really important question, what is God like? Because for some people, what they think Christ is like and what they think God is like is different. I know what Jesus is like, but I think God is like this. Now, we, we sort of say, um, well, they're the same, you know. But in our minds, a lot of people see God differently as they see Jesus. they like Jesus. He's a good cop. But God's the bad cop. Has anyone ever got that in in their mind? And uh, a lot of people see God and Jesus very differently, even though the Bible says they're actually the same. And your foundational understanding of God is really important because you become like what you worship. If your understanding of God is that he is harsh and judgmental, guess what you're going to become like? Judgmental and harsh. It's very true. If you um, believe God is all compassionate and you worship Him, most people they become more compassionate. Some people think God is all about judgment and justice. You know, justice in the Bible is different to what you think. Justice in the Bible is about putting things right. It's not about beating people up or putting. Um, it's not about um, punishment and reward. Justice in the Bible is about putting things right. Now, some love Jesus and have trouble with God. Have you ever, when you think of Jesus and think think of God, do you think of the same picture? Let me ask you that question. Uh, A lot of people love Jesus, but they have trouble with God. Now, before we look at some verses, um, I want to ask you a question ask us a question. Where do we get our concepts of God from? Well, from the Bible, of course. Or well, Why are there so many different concepts of God? We've all got the same Bible, maybe a different version, but it basically says the same thing. Yet, a lot of people have different concepts of what they think God is like. And uh, so many ideas. Because our concept of God is developed in different ways. Various ways. First, we get it from our parents. And um, They introduce us to the idea of God often. And if we're a Lutheran background, we get the Lutheran version of God. If we're ACC or Assemblies of God, whatever, we get that version. If you're a Catholic, you get a Catholic version of God. But let's take it a little bit further. If you grew up in a different country as a a little Jewish boy somewhere in Jerusalem, your concept of God growing up would be based on that. What if you were a little fellow growing up in the middle of Pakistan? What would your concept, first concept of God be? That's a fully Muslim country. Or if you're a little girl growing up in Thailand, your concept of God, from your parents at least, would be something to do with Buddha or something like that. And uh, maybe if you grew up in India, your concept of God would be, oh, there's lots of them. And so that's... Firstly, when we first get born into our families, we have this concept. And if you grew up in a family who were atheists, what would your concept of God be? Well, there is no God. So that's the first thing that hits us when we grow up. And so some of that stuff stays in us. Some of that is good, and some of it is a little bit toxic, depending on what our family um, sort of passed down to us. Some of it's healthy. some of it's not good so we need to line that up with what the Bible says to make sure that's right and then our culture makes uh, sort of forms a picture of God I think a really good example of that would be in say the deep south of America God is all about God and freedom it's about freedom Uh, God guns and whatever the concept of freedom in some of those american places is more about me um, not so much free from sin but me doing what i want to do which is really the opposite opposite to submitting to god and that culture forms a picture of god and our experiences shape our idea of god maybe growing up if your family was really forgiving and, and merciful you'd sort of take that on. But if your family was full of retribution and there was sort of more fear in your family, that changes our picture of God. What about, what about if this happens? You pray for someone and they don't recover. All of a sudden, you can get a concept of God that, yeah, he's there, but he doesn't really care about me. Some people's concept of God is based on those experiences, that God is unconcerned, that I'm not that important, And these experiences can shape our concept of God. So that's why there's so many different concepts of God out there. Some of the common ones I've heard, some people think God is really harsh. He's sort of like a powerful tyrant sort of king. He does what he wants, when he wants. People people say this, you know, a tragedy happens. Well, it must have been God's will. Really? Or some see... God as a punishing judge and who's ever done this? Who's ever prayed this? God what have I done to deserve this? Why are you punishing me? Where'd you get that idea from? That's the idea of a, of a punishing God and uh, uh, then there's the deadbeat dad God he says he loves me but, but uh, he seems to be absent it's like he doesn't care some people have that concept of God. And then there's the other side of the spectrum where some people think God's like Santa. If you do good, you get good stuff. If you do bad, you're on the naughty list. Some think he's like a bit like a genie in the bottle. where if I pray a certain way, if I worship and look holy enough, I'll get stuff. If I do the 12 steps to prayer, that's the secret key to unlocking the genie. We've got got to be careful with things like that, and often there's the father in Jesus is good cop, bad cop. Jesus is a good cop, where the father's the bad cop. So let me ask you a question. I'm just sort of exploring this before we get into the word. What is your concept of God, and where did you get it from? In Jesus's time, their concept of God was definitely about a God who punishes sin and rewards good, because They often asked Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Once there was a tragedy happened where lots of people got killed and they said, who sinned that this tragedy happened? And each time they said something like that, Jesus sort of uh, shook his head because they thought if God was angry, you got cursed and if God was happy, you got blessed. That was their concept. So when they asked Jesus, who sinned that this might happen? He basically said, you just got this whole thing wrong. God is good and his mercy endures forever. He said things like this. You know, John 10 verse 10, the thief thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life in its fullest. Who comes to kill, steal and destroy? The thief, not God. I've come to give you life. You know, there's a lot of people who claim to be atheists who are reacting to a flawed image of God. If you ever, ever met an atheist and they say this, and they say they're, they're an atheist, ask them this question. Can you describe to me the God you don't believe in? And all of a sudden you'll get these often toxic pictures of God, flawed pictures of God, as a judge who doesn't care, an absent father, well, those sorts of pictures. And that's what they're reacting to. They're not reacting to The God of love, that's for sure. They're reacting to a wrong image of God which they've found in people or found in an institution or whatever they might have found it from. Uh, Abusive, non-caring sort of God. So what is God really like? What is God fundamentally like? If you got rid of all the layers, uh, this is really important because you become like what you worship. God is primarily above all things, Christ-like. I want you to get this. God is Christ-like. God is Christ-like. We write that down and underline it. Because sometimes we talk about, we often talk about how Jesus is God, but I want to flip it. God is like Jesus. God is Christ-like. I'm just going to give you some verses. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 18 they're talking to Jesus and uh, are talking about Jesus John is and he says this no one has ever seen God but the unique one who is God talking about Jesus is near to the Father's heart and he has revealed God to us so Jesus reveals what God is like shows us what God is like Colossians 1 verse 15 Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. If you read the Amplified Bible or other versions, it's God, Christ is the exact image. It's not like a picture of God, just it's the fullness of God. He existed before anything and was created and is supreme over creation. I'll give you a couple more. John 14 verse 8 and 9. Philip said he's talking to jesus lord show us the father and we will be satisfied jesus replied have i been with you all this time philip and you still don't know who i am if anyone has seen me they have seen the father so why you ask me the showing to you christ is not a facet of god he's not this part 20 percent. he's not the good cop of the good cop bad cop duo He's not the good part and then there's the wrath part. Some people have an idea with my Bible that between the New Testament and the Old Testament, God caught sort of um, anger management between the two. It didn't happen. Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Christ lives the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Until you, Jesus comes on the scene, you only get glimpses of God. But when you see Jesus, when you see Christ, you see the fullness of God. Jesus is the very best picture you will ever find, the full package. He's not one facet of God. He's the fullness of God. So we've got God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're one, and guess what? They're Christ-like. That's what they're like. You know, John wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And um, years later, after all the other apostles had actually passed away, he wrote some more letters at the back of your Bible, 1 John, 2 John and 3 John. And um, after many years of sort of thinking about what Christ was and what he'd done and sort of considering it all, he's written these letters. And he comes to this conclusion about God. 1 John 4, verse 15. uh that's what's the verse before that fourth i want the verse before that verse 15 okay i'll give you the wrong one up there jeremy 1 john 4 15 that's what i've got written here i will read it out it says uh, uh verse 16 sorry jeremy 16 <laughs> i don't know where it is <laughs> okay it says God is love. Maybe we just pull that down, we're just confuse. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. He came to the conclusion, first of all, that God is love. The best definition of God is that God is love. And we live him, as we live in him, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid in the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. And then it says this, such love has no fear. Perfect fear expels all love. Because if your concept of God involves fear, guess what? You haven't quite, haven't quite got it. It goes on to say, if we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows us that we're not fully experienced God's love. And then it goes on to say about, you know, if we love one another because he first loved us. God is love and there's no fear in God. Okay, so if your understanding of God involves fear or wrath or punishment, we haven't yet understood the nature of God. God is love. And as we come to know him, love grows in us. Perfect love casts out all fear. We don't become more fearful, we become less fearful. What is your concept of God like? Can I suggest this? We need to have a more Christ-like God a more Christ-like God. God is love. If I had a big diamond here and it represented God, the diamond is love. And every facet of that diamond, uh, every other facet of God should reflect God's love. So if you've got a concept of God, a facet of God that doesn't reflect his love, it's not right. You've got a wrong concept of God. Christ-like, self-sacrificing, self-giving, radical, forgiving love. You know, Paul said this, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was thinking about that. He wants to know nothing about Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. I think the greatest nature of God is revealed at the cross. Because at the cross, you see God self-sacrificing self-giving you see radical forgiveness where he's actually forgiving people while they're killing him while they're torturing him father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and guess what um he also shows us radical love and forgiveness as well the same as he did to those who he was speaking directly to on the cross Now, God has always been Christ-like because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And um, he turned this symbol of a cross. It was a symbol of occupation and torture. And it it would be weird for them to see us hanging it around our neck. But he turned it upside down, the meaning of the cross, to this picture of uh, self-sacrifice, love, self-giving, radical forgiveness so our vision of god our understanding of god must be viewed through the cross christ-like but what about when we read the old testament this is where we get this is where we get messed up a bit some places god doesn't seem very christ-like we have this book the old, the bible it's got the new testament and the old testament and uh, from Genesis onwards, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean it's dictated by God. You understand that? Because God inspired people when they wrote things and they were all different cultures, all different times in history. Some were poets, some were kings, you know, some were prophets, some were disciples. And it, it's recorded how God sort of worked, how God did this and did that sometimes with a limited understanding, often attrib- attributing things to God, which we read later, weren't God at all. And um, we must read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, through the cross. I'll tell you what I mean. See, Paul knew his Bible backwards and he's the guy who said, I, I, I'm going to know nothing about, apart from Christ crucified. And this, this book is an unveiling picture of God. So you can imagine God with eight tablecloths. So at the beginning you pull one off and you sort of see a figure and you pull another one off and you pull another one and you start to see it clearly. And when Jesus comes, the final cloth is pulled off and you see what God is really like. In fact, the Bible itself calls the Old Testament a shadow of things to come. Here's my shadow. You can sort of work out that it's me. It's an image, but it's, not, it's nothing like the real thing. And that's what the Old Testament is, is. It's a shadow, a shadow, a shadow, and the fullness is revealed in Jesus. That's why the fullness of God dwelt in him. And sometimes through the Old Testament, God is seen as merciful. Sometimes he's seen as harsh. Sometimes as forgiving. Sometimes as judgmental. But it's all leading up to something. And let me tell you where we can get in strife. If we pull, imagine you're reading a mystery novel and you grab the sentence out the middle of that mystery novel and made a conclusion about how that's going to end. We would never do that. But we do that sometimes with the Bible. Um, You know, Jesus said this. You have heard... it said an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth but i tell you not to resist an evil person and if someone slaps you on the right cheek turn the left cheek We've, we know that verse don't we who's heard that one um have, you, have a think about that you have heard it was said an eye for an iron tooth for a tooth where did jesus get that from well it's from the book of exodus it's in the bible so jesus was saying well this is written in the bible well i believe that's You know, the Bible says it and that settles it. Well, Jesus didn't read the Bible like that. He said, yeah, it did say that, but I'm changing it. The Bible says in Exodus, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, which is some people's favourite verse, but he says, but I say it's different. God's love is different. At the beginning, that was sort of a part revelation, but I've revealed it fully. So when you read your bible particularly those old testament parts you can't pull a verse out and say god says it because we pick out the ones we like or the ones we don't like we pick out things like this is what it says about women in church but you know the bible also says to greet one another with a holy kiss who did that this morning we actually we, we pick out things we like we need to remember that what does jesus do some parts of the bible it doesn't change but a lot of parts he upgrades he redefines and the full picture is found in christ and if you're trying to discover uh, what god is like without christ you're going to miss the mark you're going to get those toxic images of god because the fullness of god is found in christ You can't get an accurate picture of what God is like without Christ. It's a shadow. It's flawed. It might even be toxic. Christ colours things in a completely different way. The book, this book is meant to be an unfolding book. Like it, you read a little bit, you get a glimpse, you get a glimpse, and then you find Jesus. Yes. That's the answer to the mystery. If you just read a chapter in the middle, you can get the wrong context if you're not careful. Let me ask you a question. Does your image of God need to be more Christ-like? Those images instilled by your family, you know, some are good, some are bad, your upbringing, your experience, your culture, maybe the way you've even read the Bible, maybe what you've even been taught by good people. You know, the very early church understood this. When I say the early church, I'm not talking about Martha and Luther. That's only like 500 years ago. Or John Calvin, people might know these names. Way back before that, just after Jesus, about 200 years after Jesus, they haven't even got the New Testament yet. Yet they had church. And when you read about their ancient sort of things they did, uh, they understood that the Old Testament revealed was meant to reveal Jesus. And so when they met, I found out that they focused on those Old Testament scriptures that reflected Christ. They'd often, if you go into a, like an old Orthodox church now, they'll even hear them chanting things like this, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what they used to do was one verse, one, one psalm they used to read twice every Sunday. One psalm. still do psalm 103 because it's so christ-like let me read a little bit to you psalm 103 we got that got the same version let all let all that i am praise the lord with my whole heart i will praise his holy name let all That I am, praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does does for me. Now start to read this and just see if you can find Jesus. He forgives all my sin. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get anger, angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. Verse 10, he does not punish us for all our sins. Someone needs to underline that. Because some people think that happens. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh, this is, I don't know, 500,000 years before Jesus. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. I think he's Christ like. There's actually, the Old Testament is full of pictures like that. Sometimes when we think of these images of God, we pull out these other few bits and pieces about wrath and vengeance and things like that. Do you know? One of the the most common phrases in the old testament is the lord is good and his mercy endures forever have you ever heard that you probably sung it you know how many times that's written 64 times and you know what it doesn't say the lord is good and his mercy endures until the tribulation the the lord is good and his mercy endures until uh, jesus comes again no actually what forever is your image of god christ-like Christ is God. We worked that out. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are one and they are Christ-like. Every other picture of God you have has to bow to that. has to be reinterpreted to. You have to look at the situation. Often the ones we pull out when we read the context is completely different to what we think. God is Christ-like. There's not two sides to his personality. You know, I used to think there's the good side and the bad side. It doesn't work that way. God is love. God is love. Every aspect you think God is like must have love at its core. Last verse. Famous verse, we all know. John 3, 16. For God... For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only... Is one and only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. Now a lot of Bibles say not to condemn the world. Okay, it's the same word. But to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been Judge, the word is condemned for not believing. So this is what it's saying. Firstly, it's saying this. God does not condemn. It says that. He didn't now. He didn't then. You know, he didn't even do it in the Garden of Eden. He went and found Adam and Eden, and they said, we hid ourselves because we were ashamed. You know, we knew we were naked, and God said, who told you that? Because I didn't tell you that. You read it, you see what God says. You know who told them that? They're condemning voices within, their conscience, everything else. You know what you're condemned by? Your conscience. God doesn't condemn you. He says those who don't believe in Jesus are condemned already. Who? By God? No, by, by your conscience, by the voices, by the enemy. That's where the condemnation comes from. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. We think condemnation comes from God, we're wrong. We do a good job of that ourselves, with one another. When we know Him, when we know Christ, we are free from condemnation. That's what happens. We are condemned because we don't know Him. When we know Him, that lifts off us. That's what those verses are saying. Fear goes. You know, if you've got fear in your life, I believe part of that is because we don't really understand God's love for us because perfect love casts out all fear. God does not condemn. He, lifts, he wants to lift that off you. Let's test. Can just jump on the keys? I wonder, I wonder if any of us, I, I know I do, need to adjust or redefine my image of God we have to look through the cross and see what Jesus says some stuff he redefines completely some stuff he, he, he says yeah that's right some stuff he says almost like this yeah you've got a picture of it but it's a shadow don't base your life on that shadow base your life on the real thing And we get distorted images of what we think God is like and if we worship that sort of God we become like that Christ-like God is Christ-like what did Paul say I just want I don't want to know anything about apart from Christ and him crucified he wasn't talking about the horror of the crucifixion he was talking about what the cross represents self-giving love self-sacrificing God identifying with us radical forgiveness that's what he's talking about that's what the cross is about that's what that symbol means now let's pray Lord I pray as we look at this Christ-like theme that you'll perhaps redefine what our understanding of God is like if we've just got a little bit wrong We know that your fullness dwelled in jesus how jesus acted his compassion the way he he just met with the worst of the day and embraced them is what god is like radical love radical love poured out for us lord and i pray lord for each for each and every one of us that we will feel that acceptance and that love in our own heart that when we worship you it'll be it's such a freedom lord god with such acceptance lord that will will we'll just grow in that love and so we can portray it to others as well lord it'll flow through us like a like a river lord as we come into your word lord i pray it will renew our minds lord And we'll constantly be people who grow in our understanding of the goodness of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.